Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, to get 20, 20, 20, to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Titanium tip 223 round pointy at your face. I don't think you want that. Blow me away. I don't fucking care. I'm Yardley. And I'm Zibby. And we're fascinated by true crime. So we invited our friends, Detectives Dan and Dave, to sit down with us and share their most interesting cases. I'm Dan. And I'm Dave. We're identical twins. And we're detectives in small town USA. Dave investigates sex crimes and child abuse. Dan investigates violent crimes, and together we've worked on hundreds of cases, including assaults, robberies, murders, burglaries, sex abuse, and child abuse. Names, locations, and certain details of these cases have been altered to protect the privacy of the victims and their families. Today on Small Town Dicks, we have... Detective Don, negotiator. Detective George, I was on duty as a detective, but was called to the scene as a SWAT team member. Sergeant David, I originally won the scene as the patrol sergeant, and that dovetailed into being the SWAT team sergeant. This was kind of an interesting day for me because it was, I had just been promoted to sergeant. It was my second day on patrol as a patrol sergeant, and I hadn't been in patrol for a long time because I had been in detectives for so long. We got a call to a residential area. Originally, it was from a medical facility in which Raymond had been calling there. He was a patient, and he was wanting pain meds. And he was a frequent flyer with them trying to get meds, and they were not going to give him any more meds. And they'd been telling him that, and he got really frustrated about that. The people at the medical clinic knew his wife, uh, Wendy. And so at some point during these calls, um, they call Wendy to see if she if she knows what he's doing or if she's around or anything like that. And they're able to get a hold of her and she's at work. And so they have her go home to, to check on Raymond. And they don't call the police. And in, in between the time Wendy is going to check on Raymond, Raymond calls back the, as I recall, the medical office and starts threatening them says he's going to come shoot the office up if he does, if they don't give him meds. Um, he's addicted to pain meds, and he wants them, and he better get them now or he's going to come and shoot the office up. They don't really call the police at that time, but they let Wendy go over to the house to check on him. 
When really? he goes to the house, yes. Like, why wouldn't they? They didn't take him seriously, clearly. Um, I don't think they took him seriously, and it, quite frankly, it's ignorance. I mean, they should have called her, and, 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 and maybe she told him, you know, he gets like this, I'll go take care of him, and maybe they believed her. I don't know. But she goes over there at some point, and they start thinking, wow, I sh- maybe should have called the police or something. I wonder if Wendy's all right. So they start calling Wendy back, and Wendy doesn't answer her phone. They then call the police and tell us that Raymond just called us. He's been threatening to come and shoot the place up. We don't get him pain meds. We called his wife. She's gone over there. Now we can't get over her. So now we're thinking, you know, something bad may have happened. In the interim, we get Wendy's cell phone number for the, to the dispatchers, and I went out there along with two other patrol officers to the, to the residence. While we were on the way out there, uh, dispatch was able to get a hold of Wendy, and she said, yes, he's in there. He's in a bad way. I took the dogs, and I left. I'm down at a different place. I'm at a park with the dogs. She also tells us that he has a gun out in the house at, at some point, and he's just acting weird, and he's done this before. So when we got to the, the scene, I got patrol or I got an officer with me, and we're across the street looking at the front door, and I had another officer in the back of the place, and we really don't have a crime at this point. He hasn't, other than maybe menacing for calling and making the threat at the the medical people. But um, I decide instead of knocking on the door, I'm going to call uh, call inside the house to see if I can talk to him about it. Because you do know he has a gun. Yeah, we, he's reported he have a gun. And, you know, honestly, we assume everyone's got a gun in the house in our town for some reason. That they cut a, lot, a lot of them do. But uh, I end up calling uh, his cell phone and getting him on the line. And the conversation unbeknownst to me, it was recorded by him. And, uh, what? Uh, yeah, he, and, and when this all pans out, but during this conversation, um, I start asking him, and he is instantly agitated that the police are out there. I think his quote is something like, when I identify myself as who I am, uh, he just, his, his response is, oh, fuck. And then he it goes downhill from there. And I have a conversation with him that is really not that long, and after which he terminates conversation and has made several threats to kill any officer he sees, um, and he's not coming out, and all of this stuff. He says that on the phone. So yes. what what did you say when you, you I, identified I, yourself as Yeah, and I, I, I talked to him uh, for not, not a really long period of time, and like I said, this is recorded, and you will hear it, but it's – I actually – trying to get him to calm down, trying to get him to think rationally and trying to get him to come out. And at one point I thought I had him. It was a, about, I, w- I w- basically told him at one point that I would take him to the ambulance, that we weren't going to take him into custody. We'd walk the ambulance and we'd start getting him some help. Um, if he's suicidal, we'd get that kind of help. If he needs meds or whatever it is it was, just try to get him to come out. Um, but he wasn't, he didn't like police. He talks about his dislike for police. Um, and... I realized at that point that this is going to be a, probably a SWAT call-up, so I start. I had dispatch activate the SWAT team, and again we start arriving piecemeal. Um, had officers getting in position. I also had uh, other negotiators come and try to keep contacting him to keep this conversation going. They had limited success with that, and came to the same conclusion I did. I believe that this was not going to end good, and. Um, he had made statements to me that he was basically done. and uh, Done with what? I assumed his life. And he would not 
rashly talked about anything I wanted him to do. It was all about um, what he was going to do if we did X, Y, and Z. And it was threats to shoot the first officer he saw. If I could stand to have the blood of my officers on my hands, then I would have them come in the house, all those kind of things. And then he told me what he was armed with. He told me he was armed with an uh, AR-15 assault rifle with titanium tip bullets, shotgun slugs and handguns and, and, and all of that. So, and you take all that at face value, I presume. I, I believe everything he's saying. I mean, and that's why I'm contacting the SWAT team to get him in position. And we get in a position to contain him in the house the best we can while this negotiations is going on all the time. Everyone was in, in position at some point. He bursts out of the house. The negotiations had failed. Um, we'd actually even tried to get his wife to maybe talk to him, but she wasn't able to do that. She was actually on scene when he burst out of the house. He was told by me not to come out of the house with weapons. Uh, if he came out, he should come out with his hands up. And um, I think looking back at this in hindsight, I think that um, what my conversation with him is about not coming out of the house led to his ultimate decision what to do. It's my opinion he didn't have the guts to shoot himself, but he wanted to die that day. All the way through bursting out of the house, he has recorded yes, and his he's, end of Yeah, he's wandering around the house throughout the day, talking to himself, talking to himself, playing music. Um, and then near the end of all this, you, you know, we didn't know this time, but he, he talks himself into coming out and, and taking care of business. With a gun in each hand. Yes. Oh, wow. Should we listen to that tape? Ball. He says you want to be full of pumpkin balls. It's a shotgun balls? slug, and it's that's a, a, it's a common slang for a shotgun. It's slug. it's an old it's an old term. They used to call them that, and, but it's you know I've always heard them as slugs, but I've I've seen old time stuff where they call them pumpkin balls. They're just big round lead balls that huh. I think they're sixty caliber or something like that. Seems big. Yeah. Originally, you showed up as patrol sergeant, and then you realize as the situation starts to devolve that you have to call in the SWAT team. Yes. And, and the idea from the SWAT team angle, we cannot let someone who's armed come out and wander the streets, obviously. This house is literally right across the street from high school. And uh, again, we had the neighborhood completely cordoned off, and uh, it was during the, during the daytime. Once you realize you're being recorded, does that impact the way you proceed on your end? Yeah. Does it change the way you engage with the suspect? 
we still have to do our job. I mean, we, it goes back to being handcuff him, secure the house, make sure there's nobody else in there. One of the difficult things we do when we go out there is you get the SWAT team out there based on his threats, but you have to assess whether you have a reason to arrest him at this point. You know, if you want to get drunk up in your house and yell and scream and, and do whatever, you know, have you committed a crime? Certainly you're a danger to the neighborhood. During the, the subsequent investigation and talking to his wife, we found out that when she went over there, just to, after the, the doctor's office had called her, she found him in the upstairs bedroom and uh, he had a pistol out. And she told me later that um, he had done this before and she had just been sick of it, you know, and she was kind of perturbed with the whole uh, acting up and she didn't really take him that serious. But in this occasion, he had shot two rounds into the ceiling while she was sitting there. That's when she said, I just took the dogs and left. And it's my opinion, I think anyone with any experience would say she's lucky she's not the victim of a homicide suicide because he he was clearly off his rocker that day. And he was addicted to prescription drugs. Was, were there also uh, illicit drugs involved in his? There was, We found no illegal drugs. He complained about some back surgeries gone wrong, and he got hooked on opiates and needed them. Was he high when he, this whole thing went down? No, he was he was out of pain pain medication. He was withdrawing. Yeah, he was just, yeah, he was withdrawing and he was in a bad way. Was Wendy, his wife, present on the sidelines with the dogs when he actually ended up bursting out of the house? She was probably within distance of hearing the gunshots, yes. Did you have the ability to see the front door where he came out? I did, but I was back behind the, the arrest team. Hey, small town fam, it's Yardley. It's gonna be summer soon, so the potential for stinky pits is imminent. That's why I really love Lumi. I'm obsessed with their sweat control, cream deodorant. I think I've said this so many times, but honest to God, I never thought I'd use a cream deodorant because they're sloppy and gloppy and sticky and bleh. But Lumi isn't any of those things. It dries quickly, it's never sticky, and it doesn't leave any white streaks on my dark clothing. So all of those things are a win for me. If you're not familiar with Lumi, let me tell you a few things. Six years ago, an OBGYN invented her game-changing whole body deodorant, and now it has over 300,000 five-star reviews from people like me. Lumi is baking soda-free, paraben-free, and pH-balanced, so it's safe for your pits and your bits, which means you can use it below the belt. They have a lovely variety of fresh, bright scents like clean tangerine, my favorite, lavender sage, or toasted coconut. And the secret to Lumi's success is it's formulated and powered by mandelic acid. That's how it stops odor before it starts. So, small town fam, Lumi's starter pack is perfect for new customers. It comes with a solid stick deodorant, cream tube deodorant, my fave, and two free products of your choice, like mini body wash or deodorant wipes, and free shipping. And on top of that, as a special offer for listeners, new customers get 15% off all Lumi products with our exclusive code, which is small town. And if you combine the 15% off with the already discounted starter pack, that equals over 40% off the starter pack. So use code small town for 15% off your first purchase at lumideodorant.com. That's code small town at L-U-M-E deodorant.com. Do it. 
Hey, small town fam, it's Yardley. I want to talk about Pros. Pros is the custom hair and skin beauty brand where you get on their website, answer a bunch of questions about where you live and how old you are, and what kind of hair you have, what kind of hair you want to have. And then from millions of possible formulas, they create a formula just for you. So I'm lucky I have a lot of hair. Most days, my hair is the boss of me. So I need shampoo and conditioner that gets my hair to calm down a little bit. So I've been using Pros for a while, and one of my favorite things about it is you can choose your scent. They have a review and refine tool, which learns from my feedback and then adjusts the formula. Also, Pros is a certified B Corp. It's cruelty-free, and it's the first and only carbon-neutral custom beauty brand. So it's not only better for you, it's better for the planet. So, small town fam, Pros is so confident that you'll bring out your best hair and skin that they're offering an exclusive trial of 50% off your first subscription order at pros.com slash town. That's right. You get your free consultation and then 50% off at pros.com slash town. That's P-R-O-S-E dot com slash town. Do it. Hey folks, Detective Dave here. Let me tell you about Simply Safe, the home security system that I trust to keep my family safe. I depend on Simply Safe to provide me and my loved ones with 360 degree coverage of my property and valuables. I love the variety of monitoring sensors available with Simply Safe Home Security. You get a glass break sensor, which in my experience is one of the most effective tools of detecting a break in. In addition, Simply Safe offers motion sensors, entry sensors, sirens, and flood and fire detection. With Simply Safe Home Security, I have the flexibility to use keypads at multiple entries at my house. This option is especially important to me and my family. I can provide access to people I trust and limit having multiple keys outside of my control, all at the push of a button via the Simply Safe app. It comes with a variety of cameras for indoors and outdoors. And best of all, Simply Safe is backed by 24 7 professional monitoring for less than $1 a day. It gives me peace of mind knowing I can leave the house, I can leave town, I can even leave the country, and I know my home is simply safe. The mobile app integration makes it so easy to make sure everything's in place in real time. I check it every day when I'm away from home. Simply Safe is the best. U.S. News and World Report named Simply Safe Best Home Security Systems 2024. And Newsweek ranked it Best Customer Service in Home Security. With Simply Safe, there are no contracts. And if you're not happy with the service or the product, they have a 60-day money-back guarantee. Simply Safe has given me and many of our listeners real peace of mind. We want you to have it too. Right now, get 20% off any new Simply Safe system with Fast Protect monitoring at simplysafe.com/smalltown. That's simplysafe.com/smalltown. There's no safe like Simply Safe. So, Detective Don, you took over negotiations with Raymond after Sergeant David transitioned into SWAT commander mode. How did that go? You know, when I talked to him um, on the phone, I responded out there with another negotiator, and we were parked like, I don't know, a block and a half down the street from his house. 
uh, so we could see the perimeter. And we initially made contact with him on the phone, and it was hard to hear him because there was this uh, rock music, I mean, blaring, I mean, full tilt uh, on on the speakers. And I I think we convinced him to turn the music down a couple times because we couldn't even hear his responses and that may have been why the music was down and then back up but we were never able the the other negotiator between us we have you know decades of experience and neither one of us could connect with him he was and we talked about it at the time he was truly batshit crazy that day i have no doubt about it he wasn't faking for some other Reason he wasn't vindictive, uh, you know, upset about his wife, or n- none of the normal things you find with people like that. He was truly out of his mind. And I remember telling Detective Don when they showed up to take over the negotiations while I was sitting the SWAT in up, I told him, This is going to end badly. And he came to the same conclusion instantly, I think. Because you could tell he was just so delusional. And I thought, you know, let the professional check this out. I'm the (laughs) negotiator. Oh, snap. I know what you're saying. But anyway, within seconds of talking to him, this guy is really, really fucked up. So you're both on the tape recorded version of his. No, well, there's there's two versions. There's the, the, the real long length one. Is, is is a lot of music, you know, a lot of him wandering around in there. And I don't think any of the phone calls that you guys had with him are on it. Just the original call, and he either turned the tape recorder off or did something. I don't really know I what see. he was doing. Yeah. But, but, yeah, it was – I just – you get one of those things, you get this vibe from this guy that, you know, he's done too. He's not – he's not – this isn't going to end good. You know, to talk about his history, he was – Gainfully employed most of his life. He didn't have an adult criminal record uh, per se. He said that day that he had had some horrible experiences with the police as a juvenile. But I'm not so sure that those weren't just created recently by his madness or whatever. But, you know, in my career, I dealt with a lot of people that try to act crazy and some people that are sort of crazy. And then I've dealt with a few that are really crazy. And that day, that particular time, I really got the feel from him that he was totally out of his mind crazy. In a situation where it's really easy to very quickly identify that he's delusional and batshit, as you say, is that somewhat of a comfort? Does it sort of embolden you to go, oh, I'm I'm less concerned about what he's capable of? Or is it the polar opposite? Personally, for me, it's it's an easy one because um, we're going to do either it's going to end badly like this. We're not going to go in looking for him probably ever. If we do, we're going to gas the house so bad that he's not going to be able to breathe. But the idea in something like this is the only thing that's kind of a – it's going to be a long one probably. We're going to try to wear him out until he just finally gets tired of talking to us and tired of threatening. Or either he kills himself or he comes out and confronts us or he just gives up. And those things can last a long time. And, you know, that's that was my perception talking to him was this is going to last a long time because he is at such a heightened state. It's going to take hours to talk him down, to slow him down, to get control of this. And, of course, as soon as you make that assumption, boom, he's out the door with a gun, you know, you know threatening our officers. So you never know. And— 
the crazy factor is so unpredictable. I mean, this could happen a hundred times everywhere else, and the guy walks out, gives up. No one predicted what he would do, but you could tell that he wasn't right. I mean, he he was affected at least at that time with some kind of psychosis or problem, probably because of the drug withdrawals. Sergeant David, you were talking to him initially, and then you handed off to Detective Don. If he's already not a fan of police, what is that intro? Are you sort of doing bad cop, good cop? Like, and now you're like, I know Sergeant David doesn't really get you, but I'll get you. So, I mean, what is the strategy there? You use every little trick in the book. And if he didn't like Sergeant Dave, maybe he'll like Detective Don or Detective Jeff, who was also part of this negotiation. But nothing, I mean, this guy, he just had no sense of reality. There was no even, oh, at least he paused for a second to listen to what I had to say. There was just really none of that. The only time he ever paused was when I was talking to him is when I told him, I started, and you cannot hear me on the deal, but I tell him about, um, I sympathize with him about his back problems because I've had back surgeries myself and that I could get him, I would walk him to the ambulance and he slowed down for just a minute. And then when he decided he wasn't going to do that, he was right back to, he goes, he didn't, he, he just didn't believe me. He said, no, you're tricking me. And he, he tells me something, you're not going to put me into suspension is what I think of what he calls it. And, uh, he, you mean I, like for some sort of back thing? Suspension, no, I think or? he I wants, I think he meant the nut house because oh. he was suicidal and, and he didn't want to, he, that, that was beneath him. I think I thought he was going to, bite on that. And I would have. I'd have walked him straight to the ambulance if he came out with no guns. I like your instincts, Yardley, that you were thinking about, like, what you would say, like, you know what? Yeah, cops, meh. But I'm not one of them. Yeah. Right, right. But um, again, I, we're, like, thinking in Hollywood terms. Like, I'm pretty sure we've seen a scene like that somewhere. <laughs> sure, I'm sure we have. <laughs> well, in the, in the conversation, I tell him, you know, not all cops are the same, then you'll hear his response to that. Let's listen to it. I think we should it. listen to it and then sure. have a little chat about it afterward. If I do it, no, I'm sitting there to shoot anybody that's going to take away my freedom right now. I am in horrible fucking pain. I had a, I had a back surgery where the guy fucked up. He fucked up. I've been on some pretty strong drugs since then. My fucking doctor refuses to acknowledge what's on every website about these drugs, that they build up tolerance. I have been adjusted one time. I'm no good for this drug anymore. And I am coming apart at the seams. I don't want to live anymore. You're going to get a fucking recording on a mini disc. Or my wife is. And she can forward half of it to the newspaper. The other half, the other half will be hers. You will not be a factor in this unless you come in the door and threaten my dogs. You They're threaten my dogs and I'm going no, to fucking terminate life. the first officer who does it. Your flag jackets... You make a short quit. I'm not going into suspension. I've had you guys fucking point when I was 13 years old, point fucking shotguns at me for entertainment. What? What? None of your business. Yeah, long time ago. Cops don't change. They only get worse. Yeah. Fuck you. Fuck you and your ass, buddy. You're gonna have a fucking, you're gonna have a fucking titanium tipped 
223 round pointed at your face. I don't think you want that. Blow me away! I don't fucking care! I don't care! Don't you understand it, buddy? I hurt! I hurt! I hurt for three days! Fuck! God damn it! That would be a pleasure! Yeah, well, good. Why don't you just pull one on me and then say goodbye to a few of your own? At some point, you hear him loading and charging weapons. Yeah. That, um, when he gets to the song, Whatever Gets You Through the Night, uh, you can hear him start loading magazines into weapons and charging them. And then you'll hear what he does after that. It's not, he's not there yet, but... Is on PD. They love to shoot first. They love to shoot first. He's like working himself up. It's really crazy to hear this, knowing he's the last few seconds of his life. Here, here, here he comes, getting the weapons ready. He's turning the music off. Charging weapons in. There was such a a striking desperation in his voice that, yes, felt almost too over the top in a a sense. But as you say, I mean, he was out of his gourd. But the, the music, some part of me listening to that sort of understands why he had to turn the music so up to tune out any other mm. piece of doubt and talk himself into further into his delusional state mm. and to the point of what ultimately came to be. Yeah. yeah. You know, you'd think, oh, he's melodramatic about the way he's acting, but the problem is, is he carried through with it. He wasn't like acting sure. to make an impression He's going through that with the intent that he's going to end his life. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. George was there. Yes. George, what did what did that look like when he comes out the front door? 
It developed really quickly. Uh, I think we were prepared to be there for a long time, thinking it was going to be some long negotiation type thing. Um, so I got there with uh, one of the other guys on SWAT. The house faces east. The front door faces east. So we took a position uh, kind of to the south at about a 90-degree angle from the front door. Um, and two other officers uh, took position across the street to get a direct observation of the front door um, so they could see somebody came out. We couldn't actually see the door from where we were at. We would have been just uh, at an angle. We couldn't actually see the door until he crossed through the threshold off the front porch. So we were aware of where the officers were, uh, and we had a really good containment from all sides of it. So when he came out the front door, there had been loud music, just loud rock and roll music blaring from inside the house for the whole time I was there. And if I recall correctly, the music stopped. And it had stopped a couple times before, almost like he was just changing out a tape or a CD or something like that. Um, the music stopped. And all of a sudden, the front door had opened, and the officers from across the street called out, open front door, mail coming out the front door. And within a matter, I mean, it went really fast at that point to me. He, we saw him emerge from the side. He had two guns in his hand. He did a, I describe it as a barrel roll. It's a somersault forward um, off the front porch into the front yard, dropped the pistol, lifted uh, and from a kneel, kneeling position, raised his, uh, he had like an AR-15 rifle and raised it up and pointed it across the street. Because you could see the two officers across the street. I mean, they were, they had some concealment and some cover, but their role was to see that front door. We needed to know if he was coming out of the house. We have to protect the neighbors, essentially, at that point. So as soon as I saw him take aim at them, myself and my partner were probably 25, 30 feet uh, to his side, and we just called out to him, drop the gun, drop the gun, show me your hands, drop the gun. Um, and he immediately, instead of pointing across the street, he turns attention to us at that point. Um, um, and we were both sitting there, we we're both, uh, you know, in, in full SWAT gear, we're armed with uh, MP5 rifles. And as soon as he turned to us, he raised the gun at us, and uh, we each shot uh, multiple times. I, I think I fired four times. Um, at him, and the guy next to me fired fired several times as well. Um, it ended really quickly. Uh, once he went to the ground, there was a small, I think I call it a lattice work fence, a small three foot high fence surrounding the front yard. Uh, we hopped over the fence, ran up to him, as did the officers from across the street, and Sergeant Dave came running from his position, just not too far behind us. And we all ran up at the same time and observed him. He was wearing a, like a vest, had all kinds of gear with him, uh, a couple of guns, and a tape recorder was hanging around his neck. We actually have the recording of that sequence. It's on now. It's on now. Oh, fuck, what's me going? Fuck, quickly, I say you! I say you, you motherfucker! I'll fucking drop your fucking ass! I can't really Wow I can't imagine that being my 
every day what you all do. That's really wild to hear. Um, what happens after a moment like that? We went to provide care to him immediately, and he was deceased immediately. Uh, there wasn't any medical transport uh, needed at that point. He had suffered multiple gunshot wounds. Um, I don't know the number. And also so weird, he was wearing a tape recorder that seems very um, narcissistic, I, I suppose. But I think it goes back to what his his attitude when he was talking to Sergeant Dave is, you know, this is going to get documented. My wife's going to know what, what happened. Maybe he had perceived you know, some kind of uh, deception or some kind of bad motives on our part, and he was going to catch us in the act. Or it was just paranoia. And One anger. of the things he he told me during my initial conversation, he had bad experiences with the cops all of his life, starting when he was a kid. So he had a – did he have a record? Um, no, not really. He actually was a city employee for quite some time and was off on disability. What was his wife's reaction? Because you mentioned that she was kind of fed up with his behavior. Was she surprised? Was there, oh, I mean, what, what was it? Well, she was parked right near where we were parked as part of the negotiating team. And she was there with the dogs when the gunshots rang out. Of course, I didn't really make a lot of observations of her during that because then my attentions to the gunshots, and of course, Every cop that's not on a perimeter responsibility, they're heading that direction towards the gunshots to, you know, help out. Uh, but, you know, quite frankly, she handled the whole thing pretty well. Now, whether or not it was because she went into shock or she felt uh, sooner or later this was inevitable, I don't know. But uh, See, I had uh, several interactions with her after, including Raymond's sister coming up with her husband to, to try to get some, I guess, closure or facts about what had actually happened. And, and dealing with Wendy, she was pretty professional woman and she was pretty, had come to grips with what had happened. I mean, she actually even, she didn't believe we had a tape recording of it and I actually gave her a copy of it hmm. and she wanted it. And hmm. she, she spoke to me several times after that about, about the whole thing and, and, I guess as far as someone who just lost her husband to, you know, gunfire from the police, usually they're you know, ready to sue us or do whatever. And she was very understanding and actually wanted to meet and express her condolences to all the officers who fired. There was gunfire coming from three different directions when this came out, and it was pretty instant. And um, I believe there was like 23 shots fired and nine of them were in him. Hmm. So Wow. Yeah. And, George, this may be too— personal for you, but when you are involved in shooting a suspect, do you then, in you know, on TV, they make you go to counseling and stuff. Is there any kind of um, extended debrief about that experience for an officer? Yes. Uh, it's, you have the opportunity for it, I say, to say the least. Uh, so in my situation, multiple officers fired shots. There's a county-wide investigation team that comes in and investigates the shooting. And that way, we don't investigate our own shootings. It's it's an outside perspective coming in and investigating it. They give their findings to the DA. The DA reviews the investigation, determines if the deadly force use was authorized. That investigation can take anywhere from a week to a couple weeks. It depends on the scope of the case. I think this one probably took about a week to review for everybody to write reports up and the DA to determine uh, what was lawful. So from for that period of time, um, you are um, put on a, an administrative leave. 
So um, I'm told you're not working until this is resolved. It's normal procedure. It doesn't, it's not like, you know, you did something wrong, mm-hmm. but until it's investigated, uh, you're off work. Do you appreciate that or does that bum you out? It kind of bums you out a little bit. I mean, you want to be at work. You want to be around the people you work with. You enjoy that atmosphere. Um, so it, it feels, I don't even say bums you out. It just feels like it's not normal. Your normal day is, your normal schedule is interrupted. You want to be at work. You want to get back to your caseload. You want to get back to working with the guys. Um, so you can't even do desk work on other cases? You're you're no, at home? No, you're allowed to come. If you want to come to the station and work out or something like that, that's fine. But you cannot do any work at you all. You mean there's a gym there? There's a nice gym there. <laughs> we, we can thank our, our local taxpayers for taking care of that. But, awesome. Well, um, you do have to be able to leave a six-foot wall in a single bound. Something like that. <laughs> you know, going back to the to the gym, you need that uh, for going, I mean, for covering for anything, for preparing for work. You sure. Know? And it's a nice stress reliever to be able to do something like that. Uh, but this wasn't as one of those stressful uh, Dave is situations. looking at D- Detective Dave is looking you're at you. Calling like me you're, out. You're out of your mind. What do you mean? It's a good we, stress reliever. Everybody should. I didn't even it. know we had a gym. I was going to ask you. Have you seen it? <laughs> <laughs> we talk about people jumping six foot walls, and the the other option is just to run through it, right, Dave? Uh, no. I didn't. Uh, cool. I'm going to start looking for the gym though. <laughs> so yeah, this you, you go have to go see a, a psychologist and talk to them. Do you um, like that? No. Why? Because it's a stranger. You don't like talking to people. And there wasn't much to talk about, though. This situation was a pretty clear-cut use of force. Um, I wasn't stressed out or about it, about what I, the decision I had made. Um, I've got a great family support system. I've got, you know, Do you people. talk about it with your family, your wife? Not the specifics, no. But they know enough details about, you know, hey, Dad got in a shooting or husband got in a shooting. It's on, it's on the news. It's in the newspaper. You can't avoid it. So it, it helps to have people in your life that are not cops. So they, they normalize things. If you're around cops all the time, it probably drives you crazy. Um, but to be around other people, it's, it normalizes everything. So you just sit and wait. And then once the DA says the shooting's clear, then you go to visit the, the psychiatrist, psychologist, whatever the mental health professional is, and they give you the opportunity to talk about it. They ask you some questions about how you're dealing with it. They ask you uh, just various emotional response things to gauge whether you're fit to come back to work. And the city mandates that. The city wants to make sure that when you come back to work, you're not having problems. You're not, uh, whether it's uh, at work, away from work, that you're stable to come back. Are there any, it's probably a, a silly question, but are there any officers who try to game the questions? So if the questions are relatively standard to gauge your fitness to go back to work, are there? I'm sure they could. I think they could try. But I think these people, the, these psychologists. The psychologist are is smarter than that. They, they know how to pick up on those cues when, sure. you, when you're feeding them a line of bullshit, I think. Yeah. They know how to pick up on the other cues that you're not being truthful or honest or something like that. So it's just easy to go in there and just tell them how you feel. And they can gauge how you are, if you're hiding it or not. And this wasn't a situation where it had caused me a lot of stress in my life or anything like that. So I was able to return to work uh, as soon as they cleared me the next day. And I came back to work and all was well. And Sergeant David, do you also have to, are you put on desk duty or they're just like, no, no, mm. no. off you go back to work. Just Sit right down. my shift that day. Yeah. And how long was the all in all from the time you get there to the 
conclusion. How long did that take? You say it was really. I think for the time that I got on the scene, it was probably less than an hour and a half wow. before this thing was concluded in gunfire. Well, all the SWAT team hadn't even showed up yet. We were just still trying to get people in 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 the position, you know. And it leads me to to point out something here. You know, we talked about the loud music. It was so loud that I could hear it was a Be- Beatles remix tape that was just going, just looping. Oh wow! And he was in there playing it and. Officers every day go to loud noise complaints, loud loud music. Uh, he could have it could have been the gunfire that she that you know a neighbor could have heard that, and and they seemed like routine calls that you would go up and knock on the door, and these are the, these are the places you don't want to knock on the door because you hear what he says on the tape if that you know about the first officer he sees, and it, and it probably would have happened. And then if you just you know you you think I go up there and tell him, hey turn the music down you know but you're going to see what what might be behind the door when you, when you talk about this guy. Yeah, and that's the one thing that stuck with me on this case. It it wasn't that special in a lot of circumstance. The guy was clearly suicide by cop. But I I often wonder what would have happened if none of those other calls and stuff to his wife had happened and it was just simply a neighbor who called the police department on the non-emergency line to complain about a loud stereo, a complaint that our patrol guys feel multiple times a day. And so you have maybe just one officer, probably two. All they're going to do is walk up to the front door and knock. Police officer, and you have no idea that you got the madman on the other side with an assault rifle. Who's going to shoot the first officer he sees? And thought about that in this case. That's what stuck with me is Mm -hmm. how we could have lost several officers on just the simplest of calls. Do you consider this tactically a success and because there were no innocent victims killed because Raymond was brandishing weapons and had every intention of killing whichever officer he encountered, is there no feeling of we could have done that better or is there always a feeling of we could have done that better? Well, every time you do one of these operations, you wonder what did or didn't go wrong or could could have gone wrong, I should say. But in this particular case, like I said, we were already – completely deployed as far as the SWAT team wasn't at full strength yet. I, there wasn't enough people on the response team that George was on yet. I was still getting people into position. I had people across the street, and I had only one officer on the north side of the, uh, of the residence, and there were still patrol officers on the the back side of the residence that had not been relieved yet. And we were not at full strength, but it doesn't we wouldn't have to make entry in a place like this. We know there's nobody else in there. We knew his wife was accounted for. So there's going to be no need for entry. So it's containment in this case. So contain him to the house. And the idea is, is we get the team there at full strength, contain him, and then just make his space smaller and smaller and smaller until he either talks to us or he surrenders or he does what he did. And when somebody comes out of the house and gets static, you want to make sure that your containment is good enough at that time that you keep him in that perimeter and in this case, it did work out. So um, having at about, you know, I would say two-thirds strength, it, it, we had the our assets put in place that need to be put in place in the order that need to be put in place if something like this were to happen. Because you're part of a small town and the SWAT team sort of gets pieced together, I want to know if there's ever a situation where that's really been problematic because, yes, in this case, no one was in the house, no one other than the guy. But if someone were in there and shit went down way faster than the full team could get there, 
I mean, have you ever encountered that situation? Yeah, it's like my biggest pet peeve is people who don't answer the phone, or if they don't, if they miss the call, don't instantly call back, because we don't have enough people to have people absent, really. And and what it does is it, it makes us um, make a plan that is is less than our best, and and we have to do it on on the fly, and while we're waiting for these people to show up, and and sometimes when it's when it's at two o'clock in the morning, it can be a pain. You know, I remember when I, I was a single father and I had all my kids there and I get a call at two in the morning. I got to figure out who's going to come and stay with their sleeping kids while I get to, and I got to hurry and get there. But those are things everyone should, we talk about that. You should have that in place before you, you stay on the team. That seems like such a particularly small town feature. Yeah, it is. So just, just back to that last um, bit of Raymond's tape recording I'm really struck by how much he seems to be talking himself into a scenario that will end fatally for him. Well, I listened to him at, right before he he's almost crying. Oh, yeah, and that, right. And then then when he's I'm going outside, it's it's on. You know, he's pumping himself up to go outside and do that. And I get back to when I talked to him, and I, it was somebody I said say to anybody, if you come outside with those guns, bad things are going to happen. Yeah. I said I want you to come outside, but not with your weapons. And so, you know, do you, you wonder back, do you give them an out there? Do you say, oh, well, I don't have the guts to shoot me myself, but if I go out there with those guns, they will. And I think, that, I think that's what he decided to do. And that's the cop, uh, suicide by cop term that you all refer yes, to. Yes, and that's, that's a classic one, really is. He didn't fire one round. Oh, mm-hmm. my. They're both guns were loaded and had bullets in the chamber, but he didn't fire one round. Small Town Dicks is produced by Zibby Allen and Yardley Smith for Paperclip Limited, with editing from Logan Heftel and Yardley and Zibby. Music for the show was composed by John Forrest. If you like what you hear, please subscribe to us on iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, or wherever else you like to listen to your podcasts. And follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at Small Town Dicks. Also, visit our website, smalltowndicks.com, for more information and to leave questions and comments for the team.